The Cinesnob Podcast is brought to you by Alamo Draft House. Cody, next Sunday, guess what it is? A Mean Girls party. Ooh. Girly night. Uh, mean Girls celebrating its uh, uh, 10th anniversary. No, 12th anniversary this year, right? That came out in 2004, I believe. Uh. That sounds about right. I was I was going to say ten uh ten years, but I believe it yeah, it was two thousand four that movie came out. God, that was a lifetime ago. Now uh you know uh both uh I think Amanda Seyfried and uh and Rachel McAdams went on to be bigger stars than Lindsay Lohan because she fell off the 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 map into the drugs. But uh still nothing for Gretchen Wieners. <laughs> Lacey Chabert, uh, where is she at? Like starring in Lifetime uh, Christmas movies, I think. Pretty much. It's weird that because Rachel McAdams was like, like in her mid twenties when that movie came out. Yeah, I think uh, Amy Poehler was like ten years older than her, playing her mother at the time. Uh, let me see the age difference there, because Rachel McAdams is thirty-seven right now. Yeah, I. I... I, be, I believe Amy Poehler's forty-five. Yeah, okay, <laughs> so. she was eight years older than her. Wow, I didn't realize Rachel McAdams was that old. Are you? Is it Mean Girls something that uh, that that you really latched onto? You were you were a teenager. Very much so. Yeah, yeah, very much so. I I like it a lot. I know people that really like it, um, and that throw quotes out there. Uh, I think the uh, what is it? August second one just. I mean, October second one just passed by. Yes, where uh, like t- where they t- asked what date it was. Yeah, and I, I that's something that totally flies over my head every single time. Uh, I think that it's because it's really weird because it's um, it's almost at least in movies, uh, it's something that Tina Fey she hasn't written a movie since then, um, and I just wonder why, you know, she had so much success as a writer on that movie, and then has not. He's that's the only movie she's ever written. I thought she didn't write uh, anything else. Are you sure she didn't write anything else? Yeah, that that really surprises me. I thought she, uh, I thought she had a hand in Sisters, but I guess I'm wrong. No, that was Paula Pell who wrote that. Okay, wow. And, and is, then, and then even something like Baby Mama was not written by her either. That is crazy. Uh, yeah, it, it was her and. Um, uh, did she have a writing partner on that, or was she write that herself? I can't. Remember. Uh, I believe she has a sole writing credit on that. She does. Yeah, it was based on the book. Um, yeah, that it's that is weird. I guess right after that, though, is when Thirty Rock took off. Uh, so I I don't know. I maybe she didn't have anything to do with Mean Girls too. I know, which was Mm-mm. direct to uh, to video. Anyway, it's, we're getting up- it's just weird because I think that's the thing that really put her on the map. Yeah, I think uh, that 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 really solidified. Well, that really, I think it was a good launching pad. But then Thirty Rock really solidified everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's when everyone. I think Mean Girls was when, even though when she was writing for SNL, uh, I think Mean Girls really solidified her as a really great writer. She was she still on SNL when Mean Girls was released? Oh yeah. Okay, and then she moved to Thirty Rock after that. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah. God. Not to not not to turn this into the. Tina Fey career podcast Man, where we're, <laughs> we're already way off track, but, but I mean, 30 rock. I mean, she was on SNL till 2006. So really? Wow. Uh, okay. So, uh, Sunday, October 16th, Alamo draft house, Stone Oak and Alamo draft house, West lakes, six 30 at Stone Oak, six 45 at West lakes. This is the girly night, 
uh, Mean Girls. Uh, you can uh, quote along with Gretchen as she tries to make fetch happen. Tell Danny, <laughs> tell Danny DeVito uh, how much you love his work. And uh, they'll be handing out themed props uh, for the show. It doesn't say exactly what they are yet. I can't think of – again, I'm not that in that up to the – to that level on the movie where I can tell you exactly what props there would be. Can you think of anything there would be? Maybe like, um, uh, like a Santa hat, maybe, maybe a Santa hat or what are they giving out? Are they giving out like, um, dude, this is why I'm asking you a question. Cause I don't for know the, for the Glenn Coco line. Uh, That's right. Cause he's dressed as Santa. Dude. I don't remember. You that's don't know the, that you that's go- the four, that's the four for you, Glenn Coco, or whatever. Yeah, and you go, Glenn Coco. Okay. Uh, yeah, see, I like I said, I like the movie. I'm not to the level where I can remember those quotes like that. Maybe a bus to hit uh, when the bus hits Rachel McAdams at the end of the movie. Yeah, could be uh, a bus. Hand out a bus. Anyway, uh, you can get the tickets. At- good one. What? <laughs> I said good one. Man, you fucked me up. I was in the rhythm there, <laughs> and you made some Snyder mark. This is already going great. We've, you can tell we're, we've been off for a month. Uh, <laughs> you can get tickets at drafthouse.com. That's Sunday, October 16th, both at Alamo Drafthouse Stone Oak and Alamo Drafthouse Westlakes. Like I said, get your tickets at drafthouse.com. Let's go ahead and start the show. In a world filled with movie podcasts, three critics from the juggernaut media market of San Antonio decided to change the entire course of the Internet. A feat attempted by many and conquered by many to produce a relatively listenable podcast. Devastating truth bombs. Brace yourselves, guys. The Muppets are puppets. You know that, right? <laughs> no! Wait! Okay, no. They're puppets. No, and <laughs> Muppets are puppets. This is gonna... <laughs> Hard facts. Yeah, not Kevin Feige or Feig, whatever, but... I think it's Feige. Is it really? I have no idea. <laughs> Asking the important questions. What is that? What, what was that that I just saw right now? It was like a fat Iron Man. That's it's a Hulkbuster. Hulkbuster Hulk armor. That's, that's, that's how a he fights the Iron Man. <laughs> this is the CineSnob Podcast. Welcome to episode 89 of the CineSnob Podcast. I am Jared Kingery. I'm Cody Viafania. Debate night, second debate of the presidential, um, second presidential debate tonight, uh, wrapped up about half an hour ago, maybe an hour ago now. About an hour ago at this point, yeah. So, um, are you, you're not normally a very political guy, are you? No, not really. I'm, I, you know, it's, I, I abide by the no politics or religion, uh, conversation piece. Where just like I think only bad can come from it, so I just steer clear for the most part. You have you you we you told me that you don't want to hear about me telling you about Scientology over and over. No, I mean like I've just I've had enough of your. I mean, ever since you converted, and you just keep on talking about tachyons, and I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> I think that's from Star Trek, but uh, when I I invited you to the Psychiatry Museum of Death. Mm-hmm. Uh, on Sunset Boulevard in L.A., uh, and you won't go with me. It's not. It's a short walk from uh, the Meltdown or the the Meltdown Comics, where they have the comedy shows, or they maybe aren't anymore. 
that you formerly – I mean I'm sure the comic shop is still there. Right? The comic shop is still there, but that room uh, – do they only have the meltdown there? The, or the, uh, the nerd so. melt, I mean? I think well, so. Well, they have open mic still. That's where I try to do open mic once. It's a really tiny, shitty room, by the way. That's the, that's the, that's the time um, I was in L.A. last year. And it was April. It was April twentieth, so it was four twenty. Did I tell you the story? Yes. Okay. Did I tell it on the podcast? Because I don't I, think so. When the <laughs> I went in to to look at the the nerd melt the comedy room because I was trying to do open mic comedy there, and I went to look at the schedule inside, and I came out the back door, and it's it's you know four twenty, and there's everybody smoking pot everywhere. Because in in L.A. it's it's mildly in California it's mildly legal because you can get medicinal marijuana. But, you know, people are smoking it out in the open everywhere, uh, especially right there. And I walk out and this kid is like, hey, man, 420. And he tries to hand me a joint. And my friend is waiting in the car to pick me up. And he's like in a Honda Fit or some other bullshit, like, like lame car, just like mine. But uh, he uh, I tell the kid, like, oh, no, not today. <laughs> And the kid goes, what do you mean? It's 420. What other, what day? He's like, I'm like, oh, I have to go. It was the, <laughs> of all days. It was the, not today. Yeah, not today. Like it was the fucking squarest I've ever been. <laughs> that, uh, that is, that is a square white guy thing. Yeah. Like to, I, on, to, to literally on the one day where you would. Yeah, I know. This, not today. <laughs> oh no, not today. Oh, <laughs> uh, you. <laughs> Oh. By the way, and I, I tried to, to I tried to tell that story in a joke doing open mic later that day, and it bombed. So. <laughs> Stunning. <laughs> well, everybody was high. What did I want? Anyway, um, so uh, the debate, um, highly charged political season. Um, are you? Um, you're a fairly liberal guy, right? I mean, except for you know how you want to tell a woman what to do with her body. <laughs> Jesus, no! I, I kid, I kid. You're not. No, yeah. Uh, I, generally speaking, yeah, I would say I would say the most liberal thing about me is is you know, especially on social issues. But um, you know, I I and and we won't turn this into a political thing. But um, you know, I think like a lot of people, it's frustrating to see the two party system completely make you be on one side or the other when really it's, it's more of a, there's a little bit there you can pick from both sides, but of course there's no option for that. So do you know, do you know anyone that, that is literally undecided? Like I've no, I've never ever met a person like that. I've never ever met someone who doesn't know exactly who they're voting for. At least I don't. It hasn't been made obvious to me. I think it, I think that the parties are so opposite that it makes that impossible. Um, I mean, that's just my opinion and, and it makes it even more impossible because, you know, no, no third party candidates since Perot has ever actually threatened to do anything. So, well, I, uh, my question is like, where do you go if you're like, <clears throat> like right now you're a, you're a man without a country. If you're like a fiscal conservative who doesn't give a shit about anything else, who's just like, this is how I remember like. Like people of my parents' generation being like, just stop spending our goddamn money, you know? Mm. Like, where do you go from that? Because everything is so socially charged otherwise. Like, 
where do you go if you're a social conservative? Like, hey, just don't tax everything. Like, yeah, I don't want to like deport all Muslims either. So, like, where do you right? <laughs> like, where well, do you that's, stand? Like, that's the problem with the political system because because you know that if you back a libertarian candidate or an independent or whatever, you're, you're not. It's a waste of a vote. Right. Um, so I don't know. That's the, again, that's the party. That's the problem with the two party system is that it can't be one or the other. It's got to be one extreme or the other extreme. There's no middle ground at all, period. What was the first uh, election you were able to vote in? Um, that would have been, I think, McCain Obama. Okay, 2008. How old are you? 26? 27. 27, yeah. Then McCain Obama. Yeah, it would have been, yeah, that would have been did, it. Did you vote? Um, Probably not, you fucking chump. You're... I don't know. I I know that I'm not going to vote this year for sure. Really? I just I don't I can't like neither candidate is really to me worth the time. So well, it takes like three minutes, by the way. But what? Well, you, you, the, that's the problem, though, is you you miss out on the down ballot stuff where it really makes difference. Like a local what's that old George Carlin um <laughs> I don't a, know. bit about? If you don't vote, you can. You can bitch about both of them or whatever. I don't. I don't know specifically, but it sounds close. Are you talking like angry old man George Carlin or like coked up seventies, eighties? That was. Carlin? I think that was more of the 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 angry old man Carlin. I wasn't a big fan of angry old man Carlin. You so. know. <clears throat> yeah, I. You know, it was. He was all right. I mean, I thought he was good until the end, but I don't think that he was anything that. You know that he was back in the seventies or eighties or nineties. Really? One of my favorite things about this is off topic from what we were talking about, but Carlin talked about, there's a, there's a famous story about him uh, hosting the first episode of SNL Saturday night live <laughs> where uh, he was supposedly coked out of his mind and they had to break down the dressing room door to get him to come out. Wow. And uh, I, some interview, on the radio I was listening to, it may have been fresh air, something like that. Some sort of NPR ish thing. They asked him about that. And his answer was sounds about right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, I, I can't imagine not voting. I mean, look, frankly, your vote's not going to really matter in Texas. Yes. That's the other point. I mean, your presidential vote, but everything else will, um, I don't know. It's just, I mean, like I was talking to someone about this today I would, I wish, I don't, I probably, this probably won't happen. And maybe it's just me being a, uh, a millennial. Um, <laughs> I want to vote by texting. <laughs> yeah. If we could just like vote on Instagram. You got a hashtag I can vote <laughs> with? No, but like, I would really, I wish I could say that I could not vote until something is done to where the parties are less there's less polar opposites and there's more middle ground or there's a candidate that represents middle ground. Um, and then until then I don't feel like I want to bother to vote, but you know, it's like, I just can't stand how, you know, these candidates fold under pressure to be something that they're not in order to appease the party. So it's something like, you know, uh, like, like, like Obama, for example, or no, it wasn't Obama. Was it? It was one politician who was not religious at all. Maybe it was. I oh. can't remember. It was was it Romney or? 
No, Romney's a Mormon. He's well, he's a Mormon, but I mean, just like someone who's not Christian Look, pretending to have Christian values because they don't want to piss off half of the conservative Christian. Oh, I mean, um, you know, I've talked about this with friends before. I think, uh, you know, there's the there's that right wing rumor that that President Obama is a Muslim. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I mean, I think if anything, he's an atheist. If there's any if there's right. any religious thing that he's hiding, he's he's either atheist or doesn't care that much. But it's still a relic of the past mm-hmm. that you have to be God fearing, uh, religious, and you know that doesn't appeal to me. I've never been religious. I <clears throat> I don't personally have anything against it. I mean, you know, if you if you don't use it to as a tool, a weapon against other people, but that's a, a bigger conversation. I never, I didn't grow up with it. So it does, it's not something that affects me. You know, I know a lot of people that did grow up with religion and have abandoned it as adults. And it's really leaves a big scar on them. So, uh, you know, they see that as a personal, as a personal affront, you know, other people I know are really religious and they, you know, they want to square their candidate, their political choice with their religion. Um, yeah, look, that's a big pipe dream. You got to vote for the one who matches as close as you can with uh, with your ideals. And my my ideals have been way more uh, liberal as I've gotten older, which is weirder. I guess doesn't really happen that way. There's the the whole <clears throat> kind of uh, conservative mantra is if you're if you're young and not a liberal, you have no heart. If you're old and not a conservative, you have no brain. Uh, that was a little Zen cone for you there. Oh, okay, uh, Dorothy. <laughs> Dorothy. Yeah, you but, know, from like from the Wizard of Oz. I get it. <laughs> I don't think she was doling out advice. But look, like that. let's let's not forget about you know the most important thing about this whole election and really the past kind of last few days is uh, you know as you've been saying on Facebook, finally. That deplorable Billy Bush has been taken down. <laughs> I, you know, I've been in TV for 16 years. I've seen stuff like this happen, you know, where someone's mic'd, look, kind of one oh, like like hot mic 101. You don't say anything that's going into a hot mic that you don't have complete control over. That you don't want to hear. Like, if you're saying something controversial, something to, you know, ugly or whatever, you don't want that to. You want you don't want that to be out in the wild. You know what I mean? Like this guy, like the the way that video is. If you haven't seen it, and I don't know who hasn't seen that fucking video. I don't know. So the video is of Donald Trump and Billy Bush from 2005 on an Access Hollywood bus, and they're they're coming up to the camera. Like obviously they're wearing wireless mics. Some damn fine reception on those wireless mics, I gotta say. Yeah, they're a good fifty yards away in a bus, and the the camera's still picking up the audio. So they make the comments that you know the 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 gross comments about women and stuff that that are picked up by the camera. Then someone keeps that, like whether it's the photographer, whether it's the editor, whoever it is archives that whole thing like there's look in in tv we don't have raw video of everything that we shoot you know we keep the things that that are you know 
well, uh, you know, that we'll, we figure we might use again. You know, like we'll go out and shoot an accident, a car crash or something, or an event. We'll keep maybe a minute of that video, but we've shot, you know, half an hour of footage. Mm-hmm. But to when you when something like shitty happens, like a blooper or some, you catch something bad happening, like you're going to hold on to that. So you've got, you know, Billy Bush talking. And that's really probably why the tape was kept because it's Billy Bush talking about a coworker, you know, cause who could give a fuck what Donald Trump in 2005 said, you know what I mean? This mm-hmm. is Billy Bush, somebody who's has a terrible reputation, allegedly talking shit. Cause you know that like, the woman they're referring to that Donald Trump tried to says he tried to fuck is Nancy O'Dell, who was his co-host at the time. Oh, I didn't, I didn't know that. Oh, I thought you had, I, that part came out a little later. Uh, entertainment, or I'm sorry, uh, access Hollywood confirmed that because he, he, Donald Trump says he, he talks about Nancy and that's who they were talking about at the time. Cause at the time it was Nancy O'Dell who now hosts entertainment tonight and Billy Bush, they were, they were hosting access Hollywood. Gotcha. And, um, <laughs> Uh, so that's probably why it was kept. That's probably why it was held on to. Cause somebody was like, Oh, if, if this guy ever pisses me off, I've got shit on him. And then Donald Trump was a casualty of it because all of a sudden he became this heat public figure running for president, which is still a weird thing to say. So, yeah. So you don't hold on to that stuff unless someone, someone held on to that on purpose. Well, and, and now there's rumbles of years and years of the apprentice stuff that, Oh yeah, maybe going. I, can, I can imagine that's awful too. Uh, probably my favorite thing about uh, about that clip, and it's a stupid thing, is like you can see they're on the NBC Burbank lot, mm-hmm. and in the background you can see the Tonight Show stage, and you can see Jay Leno's fucking like jalopy he drove into work that day, <laughs> like some some steam powered like Duesenberg or something. <laughs> <laughs> just thinking like, oh, that was a that's Jay Leno was just he hanging out there, and then. Yeah. Anyway, um, so uh, what did you think of the debate? Do you ever watch these debates before? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I watched them. I, I the first one I watched maybe like fifteen twenty minutes, and I it was just ridiculous. So I found something else to do. But you know, this week there was there was sort of like a a, a train wreck thing where it's like, well, how is he going to pull himself out of this one? And in glorious fashion. He's asked about this and almost immediately brings up ISIS and, and just a brilliant deflection of stupidity. <laughs> like it's like like say what you want about Donald Trump, but that guy is the master of deflection. Well, like, I, I don't know how how don't I've no, I don't know that I've ever seen someone talk more and say nothing. Well, ever. I, I think it's uh, pretty fascinating. The the bomb that was dropped with that tape is a fascinating bit of political theater because it's a Friday news dump that leading into a debate that was on, on Sunday. And I, I, I think watching this debate to the, compared to the last one, I think it was a, a more even match than the last one. The last one Donald Trump sucked at, I think this one, he had a little more energy and it was a little, a little harder fight. I think he needed it. He needed to not lose because I think that tape has sealed his fate, I imagine. Because, you know, like I said, okay. not knowing anybody that's undecided doesn't mean that those people don't exist. 
uh, and that's who you fight for in these last in this month up to the election, you know, because you've like everybody that supports Trump because, you know, I have friends talking about this tape like, oh, this isn't going to change anything. Well, yeah, it's not going to change anything with the people that support the candidate because that's it just never happens. You know, like I don't there what would make you turn on someone like that that is so representative of your side? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It'd be like if you all of a sudden it's like if you were in the the finals of you know the NBA or or whatever, and all of a sudden like you're expected to all of a sudden stop rooting for your team, like it's just not going to happen. You know, it's just no. There you have your your interest is is locked up in this team. Yeah, but there's also it's not like there hasn't been any fallout politically for him. I mean, he had he's had you know Republican chairs telling him to step down. Now I think that, you know, a, a little bit on the post stuff, like I'm watching, I've seen in right now on right now. And they says, they say Hillary 57% Trump 34 on the poll of who won. So I don't know that, you know, it's one of those things that they were saying that I felt like was a, a decent point, which was that Trump probably didn't earn any new supporters tonight, but he may have stopped the bleeding a little bit, so to speak. Oh yeah. I mean, but the, I think the damage is done. Oh, the is, damage is, is, is what I'm yeah, trying to say. Damage. You know, you you have to convince people that are not convinced yet, and the people that are convinced are never going to change their minds. Statistic, no, he, statistically, they're never going to change their minds. So, sunk. yeah. So, I mean, it's a fascinating. It's a it's a fascinating bomb. You know, it's one of those things. It's like, hey, because hey, the trap was set with the the Miss Universe thing a couple weeks ago. Uh, the first debate that I don't know if you remember that one where he, she yeah. he calls her a, a Miss Housekeeping and shit like that, and then he proceeds to dig his own hole for a week. It's just fascinating theater. Say what you will about Hillary Clinton, it's not you know there's there's a generation that's been brought up to hate her. Yeah, um, you know it is it is it is fascinating theater, almost like a movie, which is what this podcast is about. Oh yeah, so should we move on to to talking about movies? Yeah, I mean, maybe. Well, not, not before we make announcements, though. Oh yeah, uh, Trump twenty sixteen. <laughs> oh no, wait. Uh, oh, what's your announcement, Cody? My announcement is for those of you who did, and um, some of you did not. Um, but we we <laughs> <laughs> we started a a uh, a, a, a <laughs> this is going really well. Um, we're we're nice and polished after a month. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, so we started a new film series, an outdoor film series at Big Hops um, called Cinema on Tap. And we had our first screening about a month ago, and it was of Little Miss Sunshine, and it went really well. People really enjoyed it. Um, and so we are uh, we have announced that for October, on Wednesday, October 19th, about uh, 10 days from now, we will be showing the, uh, the very funny um, – horror comedy um what we do in the shadows which uh if you haven't seen it it's sort of like um i mean it really is the best comparison i can think of and i think you'd probably agree is it's it's basically the office um it's a it's a mockumentary style stuff but more the office style than something like a christopher guest movie that feels improvised and not i was just watching it today what we do in the shadows yeah it's great. I love it. I've seen it several times. Uh, <laughs> I, I I just love the 
I, my favorite part of it is uh, Jermaine Clement's character, uh, how he could turn into animals, but he can't get the faces right anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and there's the scene where uh, the guy that they end up turning into a vampire uh, is running through the house, and there's a cat with Jermaine Clement's face just hissing at him. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's so much great stuff. I, my personal favorite part about it is just, I mean, essentially completely just uh, Taika Watiti's character just being this like really giddy. Oh, uh, yeah. He's just so funny in that. Um, I I uh, when you say the office, and not just because they're they have the same accent, but I think it's a little more the British office. Yeah, mm-hmm. than, I mean, it's if you're a fan of the American office. I, it's yeah, you'll you'll probably like this, but it's a little more the British Office, um, and it, and it does a really good job of playing into some vampire horror movie tropes while really making fun of them. Like it's it's uh and it's not sort of in the in the same vein where you know Shaun of the Dead was sort of a satire on zombie movies, but in kind of was a zombie movie. This yeah. is a pretty flat comedy, I think, flat out comedy. Yeah, there there's not it's not really scary. No, uh, you know it's everything. I mean, even the Peter, the 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 more Nosferatu looking vampire, is played for laughs. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, uh, the, there's the sequel. I don't know if they're if they've shot it or if, when it's coming up next or when it's coming out. But I love the title of the sequel is We're Wolves. Yeah, that's my favorite joke ever. It's got Reese Darby and a bunch of other guys as like a pack of werewolves that they pass by. Yeah, that, uh, which that, which is a great joke in the movie. Yeah, it's it's a really great movie. So uh, that is when Cody. That is Wednesday, uh, October nineteenth at Big Hops the Bridge. It's the location right next to the Hay Street Bridge, um, pretty close to downtown San Antonio. Um, we will have a short film that's local that will be playing there. That's to be determined, and we will also have a food truck out from a place called Benji's Munch Truck. What are those? That sounds good. It's been so like they have. I I don't know what they have, but like their normal dishes, they have a chicken on a stick that looks quite delicious. Uh, and I think they have some like sandwiches and stuff like that. You can find them on Facebook. Just look up Benji's Munch. Can we? How do we not? How do we talk all that politics and not talk Ken Bone? Oh, dude, Ken Bone. God damn it, Ken Bone. You know he looks like he looks like Mel Rodriguez from uh, Last Man on <laughs> Earth and. Uh, he does, and he Saul. also asked asked a question that could heal the world. Which one did he? No, he, he didn't ask the. Uh, oh, he didn't ask the last one. I yeah, thought that was, I w- that was Jerry Becker. Oh, that's now, right. Maybe not Jerry Becker. Jerry Becker is a coworker of mine. <laughs> uh, it was somebody else. Somebody Becker. I don't remember. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't know what Ken Bone did, but Ken I, Bone it, asked about uh, something about the economy or some bullshit, but. Did you see they all had the those Fujifilm disposable cameras? Yes. I guess because they weren't allowed. To, I guess they weren't allowed to take cell phones in. Maybe. Yeah, that must have been it. So they all have. I, I wondered. Those still exist. I wondered if it was more than just hipsters and like, like old people that used them. And my grandmother used to, re- like, religiously use those. I used to. Uh, I used to use them when I worked at Albertsons, and to drop off the film. I like to pull them apart and take the film out because it just mm-hmm. had a roll of film in there, and I. I was bored and mess around with the camera and I didn't really know. <laughs> I didn't know about, uh, capacitors, uh, outside of the flux capacitor. 
Capacitor is those things that look kind of like batteries, but they're hard mounted to things. And if you don't know, that's how like charges are built up. So that's how the flash worked. And I was like, what is this thing? And I grabbed it and it shocked the shit out of me. Oh, shit. It was like, it was a huge zap and I threw it on the ground and it, it flashed. And this guy, one of the managers was on the phone and he saw the flash and he heard me scream and he goes, what happened? And I told him what happened. And he thought when I told him, he thought the flash of the camera was the arc of electric, of electricity. Mm-hmm. I was like, Oh no, I'd have been dead. Like if you, if it was bright enough to see that, you would have had to call like the, the morgue. <laughs> no, I just got zapped by a battery. Anyway, good story. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Ken bone. I love that name. Yeah. Mel Rodriguez. Uh, or I, I would assume, uh, Bobby Moynihan is getting ready to play Ken Bone next week on SNL. Yeah, I saw a tweet that said that. I saw a million tweets that said that. Uh, do we have anything else before uh, we move on to this news? Nah. No, uh, just please come. If you, Yeah, it's an outdoor screening, so bring a lawn chair if you decide to come. It's a free screening, so you don't have to pay, though we do encourage you to have a delicious craft beer and uh, eat some delicious food. So, uh Definitely come out and join us. We'll have a we'll have a promo video that uh, that we shot at the last one that'll be coming out sometime this week. So look out for that. All right, let's go ahead and move on to news. It's time for the real rundown, recapping this week in movie news. So it came out this week um, that the title of what is the third Wolverine movie will just be Logan. Yeah. Logan. So it's like the uh it sounds like a uh you know 14 year old skater kid. <laughs> How many Logans did you go to, to to high school with? Just one. Really? Yeah. Um no, well it's the there are talks that this is uh loosely based on a popular uh graphic novel from a few years ago called Old Man Logan, which uh follows the Wolverine character when he's older, obviously. And he's starting to lose his abilities, can't heal as fast anymore. That's why he's actually getting old. Uh, So um, I think that's probably pretty solid speculation just because that book was so so well received. And, you know, we've seen uh, there was that picture that was tweeted out somewhere of uh, Hugh Jackman looking shitty. Yeah, and well, and a really old looking um, Patrick Stewart, too. Oh, yeah, I saw that one, too. so anyway, um, also uh, confirmed via a uh, script leak that this is going to be the uh, – not script leak, but just one page tweeted out by the director, James Mangold, uh, that this is actually going to be the uh, sort of hard R that everybody's looking yeah. for. Yeah, and that's – it's surprising, although I'm taking it with a grain of salt because I guess you could say James Mangold mangled – the first Wolverine movie he made. <laughs> and, uh, what? Uh, the, no, the, he made the Wolverine. Yeah. I didn't like it at all. Oh, I thought it was good. I thought it was good until the third act. I think, I think, uh, I think it's a, a really solid movie. Uh, uh well, I, to each their own. Uh, do you have that script in front of you? Uh, I do. Um, I can't, uh, let me, uh, try to enlarge it a little bit more. There should be a text. If you go on uh slash film, there's a text, uh, kind of, Trans, transcription there and while you're while you're pulling that up if you can look it up the the interesting thing is that the original release was a poster of um of uh of wolverine holding like the hand of a child 
But the really cool thing about it was that Wolverine was all scarred up on his hand and his arm, which, of course, you know, Wolverine regenerates. So clearly he is starting to age and become vulnerable and, you know, most importantly, mortal. And finally, the reason I'm so excited about it is finally... It's going to feel like a comic book movie has real stakes. Well, and I think one of the uh, the most important uh, details that they that they discussed for me is that it won't be uh, like they he won't be saving the world. The right. stakes will be smaller. I mean, right. I, don't, I don't think it's probably not a secret that this is going to end with Wolverine dying. Right. No, and I think that that. I don't know that that necessarily hurts it that we know it, but I think that it, I think that it's going to be important because I can't think of a comic book movie in which a major character, especially on the level of Wolverine, which is something that's been a presence for 15 years, at least. Um, well, it's been, yeah, by the time this movie's released, it'll be 17 years since the first X-Men movie was released. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I'm, even knowing that I'm excited to see how it plays out and especially excited to see uh, that first uh, posting of the first page of the script, because it has an explanation in it that kind of, it won't, it won't be a CGI fuckathon. Yes. That's it says that in the actual script. Yeah. The, the, the stage directions part of in part read in this flick, people will get hurt or killed when shit falls on them. They will get just as hurt or just as killed. If they get hit with something big and heavy, like say a car, should anyone in our story have the misfortune to fall off a roof or out a window, they won't bounce. They will die. So, uh, and and then it say something like, if you're looking for a CGI fuckathon, this ain't your flick or something yeah, like that. Yeah, that's the, the CGI fuckathon thing is is uh, kind of leads that whole thing off. Um, so I, I think it's a nice step back from. Uh, I did not like uh, Apocalypse X Men Apocalypse at all. No, uh, it was bad. And I, I think that's where it really one of the things that really went wrong. Uh, the way it really went wrong was uh, making the stakes too high. Uh, making it about the end of the world. And the X-Men always worked better when it was a more immediate threat to mutants, uh, in my opinion. Um, and I also, that I think that was a major problem among many others with Suicide Squad was that it was about saving the world. Right. Like, the, Well, it's always some vague world-saving threat anyway. Well, but it's it's important for these things to be a little more on the level of, uh, you know, like I, immediate threats to the characters. Cause then where do you go? You know, I, th- I honestly think that, um, I on it, like truly, I honestly think that the worst casualty of that is, uh, not casualty. The worst offender of that would be age of Ultron where it's just a pointless heart, soulless destruction of, a save a place and a saving of the world plot that just had it's just not worth anything. Yeah, I, I, I mean, this, yeah, the Age of Ultron has that placeholder feel. We've talked about Age of Ultron a million times. Uh, more immediate, you know, this past summer were the two X, the X Men and Suicide Squad. I think were the the two that that most immediately come to mind as things that that weren't about saving the world, where were or were about saving the world when they shouldn't have been. And I think the best example of something being a big epic story and not about that is uh, the Winter Soldier, 
Yeah. I'm sorry. Civil War from earlier this year, Captain America Civil War. Like that was all about an internal conflict between the Avengers and it like yep. there was no big beam that shot up into the sky and was doing whatever. Yep. It nope. was just a fucking in fact, fight. In fact, the big villain of the movie was a guy who like like there wasn't every I don't that I can recall with Daniel Bruhl's character a physical fight of any kind with him. I don't think so. I think he just uh I think Black Panther He was Panther, more of a plot point than anything else. He was a like a an ins, he was essentially the inciting incident for everything. Right. He, he just, and that's what that's why that's when those and that's again why I think that the Avengers and Captain America uh Civil War are the two best Marvel movies that there are. I mean I mean Guardians of the Galaxy is great, but um but I think that those two are some of the best ones because it it pushes away that stupid world threat or you galactic threat and it actually pits them against each other and i think internal conflict is so much not not internal conflict but uh so much as it is conflict within them which is also means internal but i don't mean like emotionally but interpersonal i think is yeah interpersonal conflict between these groups of heroes is so much more interesting than fighting a random alien source like the Chitari and the Avengers. Even though I, I cited that as one thing I like, the best parts of the Avengers are when they're fighting each other. Well, um, I mean, and that that came from a lot of, you know, that was a lot of equity built up from the from these individual movies that, you know, paid off. Uh, where it went wrong is something, you know, blatantly like in Suicide Squad, where you have the these villains put together that, would are taking on a threat that would have been like on the scale of something Superman would need to fight. Right. And meanwhile, like a girl with a bat, like just a crazy woman with a bat is able to, to defeat this magical villain. Like the scale, the scale of it didn't make sense. The relative scale of things don't make sense. It's like, I've made this example before, but, uh, two bad franchises, both uh, the Twilight movies. I don't know. Have you seen any of those? I have not. Okay. Or the Transformers movies. The fights among the characters. Like, in Twilight, when vampires fight, they're equally matched. And it just takes one to get the upper hand on the other to smash their head. Like, that's how they kill each other. They smash their heads. Like, it's almost like a pot smashing. It's fucking hilarious. You need to watch those someday. Uh, or Transformers, like, any character can rip another character's head off. Like, that that creates zero conflict because you know at the end that the good guy's just going to win because right. he happened, like, the script called for it. Um, I don't know how we got to Wolverine. Well, we no, but I, I think, I think that just to bring it back to Wolverine is that the problem with the Marvel movies, as good as they can be, is that there's never any stakes. Oh, and yeah. I think that uh that the, the main the main the main way it displays that is in the fact that um nobody ever stays dead in the marvel franchise um or there's a lot of fake deaths in there i guess would be a better way to put that and every time a character comes back to life in or is alive and you think they're dead in marvel it just undercuts the next thing that's going to happen so if you make it have real stakes, like 
I, I could not, I actually could not believe that, um, that nobody died in Captain America civil war. Cause I thought that they may go there and they didn't. I, uh, my only problem with Captain America civil war is the minor punch, punch pulling they did at the end. Uh, you know, not having them be all, you know, I, that's, that's an internal problem I have. And I, I, one day filmmakers and studios will trust the audience enough to know that, you know, they can, they're going to see what's next. Well, and I sort of, I sort of wonder if, and I don't, we, I, I actually talked about this on one of my other podcasts called the power pals, um, where we were talking about Star Wars and we were talking, there's that whole rumor that went out that we didn't discuss here, but it was this whole video that came out that was trying to say that Ray was the granddaughter of Emperor Palpatine. And it was sort of, and it led to this discussion on would Star Wars or Disney go down the path of actually making Ray a villain in some case in some way, even if she, or just go to the dark side or be tempted by the dark side or whatever it may be. And we discussed it and we were like, it would be so ballsy and awesome if they did that. But you've got this giant franchise. You have this breakout female character. Do they have the guts to go down that path with her? And I think that at some point there's going to be something that breaks where a major film like that will do something quote unquote controversial or do something that's really different. And I sort of wonder if maybe Ryan Johnson might try something like that with the next star Wars movie, but I don't know. I, you know, I, I seriously doubt it. I, I think that, you know, we've been seeing, we've seen that in TV for, you know, the better part of 20 years now, pretty much yeah. ever since the Sopranos uh, with the rise of the anti-hero yeah, and, as as these yeah. huge prestige dramas, you know, there's no, you know, none of the none of the most buzzed about shows, even genre shows, have the irredeemable or the the uh, sorry, what am I trying to say? Like there's there's no character that's that's without some sort of darkness in them. Like mm-hmm. look at fucking Game of Thrones. Game yeah. of Thrones is probably as big of a TV show as you can get fan fanboy wise. Like that's something that could also power its own comic con atmosphere. You know, like there's nothing bigger genre wise than game of Thrones. And every single character in that show is flawed in some way. Some are less flawed than others. Some are darker than others. Some are downright evil and you're still rooting for them. But, uh, star Wars, in, in films, I guess they always say the rumor always is that it's for international audiences. I just think that people see it as a bigger bet, you know, like it's a, it's, it has more potential to, to lose money. Um, so that's why everybody that thinks that, that this new trilogy that we're in, which will be an eternal trilogy, apparently with, uh, episode seven, eight and nine, anybody that thinks that it's going to turn, turn the story on its head and not be about like more skywalkers more family i think is really projecting their own wishes onto this thing yeah to think that i mean look all the all the breadcrumbs are there that ray is luke's daughter or at least somewhat in the family anybody trying to see anything else is just hoping that 
that it doesn't go that path, you know? Right. And maybe it won't. I don't know. I'm saying that that's where the signs are pointing. Um, right. And I almost, I almost wonder if, if it's so obvious that maybe they go a different direction, like maybe it's a, it's a, um, it's a red herring of some sort, but you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's feeling a little predictable narratively. And I think it's going to take something like possibly this Wolverine movie. And I think honestly, man, to some level Deadpool to take the genre and flip it on its side a little bit. That's another, what? Go ahead. No, I just think that Deadpool may have opened the door for this Wolverine movie to exist, and maybe that opens the door for something else to happen. Yeah, that's another movie I was just watching um, a few days ago. It premiered on HBO last week, and of course I have copies of it elsewhere. Yeah. uh, You know, bought the Blu-ray day it came out, but that's another movie that's just – it's such a great little exercise in, in, you know, in something totally different. Yeah. And I, you know, honestly, that's what Logan is, is, is aping. And I would be maybe a tiny bit surprised if Deadpool didn't show up in it. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. I think that I, I think the thing with Deadpool and I, and I still think that I, I think when it's all said and done, hopefully, and maybe this is just me projecting, but I'm hoping that we look down the years uh, in five years down the line, we see Deadpool as a real watershed moment for comic book movies that prove that you can do something different. Because if you rewatch Deadpool, especially having not watched it for a while and not and, and kind of forgetting about it, and especially if you watch it compared to some of the Marvel movies or Suicide Squad or whatever, like that, it is in a adult, legit rated R movie. Like it does not pull any punches. Yeah. And, and, and that's so respectable. And it's funny too. Like it's, it's real, legit yeah, it's funny. So, um, so Logan is next year and that's supposed to, to be the last appearance of Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. And and possibly the last as Patrick Stewart as professor X as well. Yeah. I, we'll see about Hugh Jackman. I wouldn't be surprised if Patrick Stewart's done because you know, I, I think that I almost think that Hugh Jackman has to be in the next Deadpool movie, but I don't know. Yeah, I I agree too. Um, I mean, that's legit what made his career. Uh, yeah, and you could argue, or you could also argue that other than maybe Robert Downey Jr., he's had the most successful career as a comic book character. Yeah, I think Robert Downey Jr.'s gotten way richer from it. Yeah, but, I mean, he had a career before that. You know, Hugh Jackman did not. Yeah, you know, Hugh Jackman was an was an unknown and became a megastar from it, which deservedly so. I mean, he's he's he defines that role. You know, uh, I, I mean, imagining someone else play that role as in a live action role. I mean, it's almost you almost don't want to do it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, there, people talk all the time about oh, so and so was the definitive Joker or the definitive Batman or definitive Superman or whatever, but. You know, to to have somebody else play Wolverine would be really jarring. I mean, it's gonna happen, but still, it's it's tough to it's tough to think about. Anyway, uh, anything else to say about Logan? No, I just I'm very very cautiously optimistic about. I I just want them to get it right so much because I think Wolverine's a great character. I think Hugh Jackman is a great character, and honestly. Uh, the thing I want to see is just a really dark Wolverine. And, and, and I think we got a real small piece of it 
And I think in the best scene of X-Men, um, it would have been X-Men First Class, there's, a, there's one small cameo. Do you oh, yeah. remember the cameo from that? Oh, of course, yeah. Where they, where they, where it's uh, McAvoy and Fassbender approaching Wolverine in a bar, and and all all Hugh Jackman goes is go fuck yourself, and that's it. No, that's a great, that's a great cameo. It's the it's the best cameo in a comic book movie ever. It's hilarious, and it's it gets that side of Wolverine that I really want to see in I re- this movie. I remember arguing with friends about that movie. Because do you, I don't know if you remember when First Class was was in the pipeline, they were really coy about it whether or not it was a reboot or a prequel. Do you yeah. remember that talk? Mm-hmm. And I remember telling people like, no, I mean Hugh Jackman is going to be in it, and other people saying, no, no, it's there because you know, this was like post Wolverine, X Men Origins, Wolverine, and X Men: The Last Stand that everybody hates. I don't hate X-Men The Last Stand, but most people do. And they thought this was going to be a clean break. And when it wasn't, I think that made the best moment of the movie. I still liked the movie, but I think that's literally the best thing in that movie is is Hugh Jackman's cameo. Yep, I agree. And I, I did like uh, – was that where uh, Michael Fassbender was doing the knife thing? I can't yes. remember the scenes. Every, I, I, like, I really like Fassbender in that role. He has the same fucking arc in every single movie, though. Yep, same exact arc <laughs> in all three of them. Oh, yeah. Anyway, all right, let's go ahead and move on to reviews. Here are this week's reviews. First up, we have The Birth of a Nation. Mama. Oh, Lord, I slept too late. Oh, no. Mama, you won't have to work today. You're free. Battle's begun, huh? Sam. Sam, I'm gonna take you to Reese's. Now I need you to take care of Cher and Joanne until I get back, you hear? Nat Turner, a literate slave and preacher in the antebellum South, orchestrates an uprising. Now, we both saw this, obviously, because we're both talking about it. What did you think of of, The Birth of a Nation? Well, you know, this movie has been sort of uh, overshadowed by its controversy with its writer, director, and lead actor, Nate Parker, um, with some – I I guess it was a rape acquittal. He was he and the co-writer um, who is uh, named I forget his name uh, Gene uh, Celestin were uh, I guess college friends and both charged with raping a f- I believe fellow student. Mm-hmm. If I get the details of this wrong, please forgive me. But uh, he, uh, Parker was acquitted. Celestin was found guilty. But that conviction was overturned. Right. And um, this was in 1999. Uh, and the, the victim, who was unnamed, 
um, later committed suicide. I think just fairly recently in the last five years or so. Okay. Um, yeah, it's, uh, so that, that has come out ever since it sort of burst onto the scene at Sundance. Um, I, I have really complicated feelings about birth of a nation. Um, because I realize the flaw in a lot of it. Um, I think that it gets off to a very rocky start. Um, anything with him as a kid is not great. I think there's some character issues where Army Hammer's character, who I actually think Army Hammer is pretty good in the movie. I think his character is not well thought out. Mm-hmm, I agree. Um, I think that this movie has moments of brilliance. Like, I really do. And I think that it's moments that are really well done outweigh the moments that aren't as well done. Um, and in particular, there's a couple things I think it does really well. Um, you know, a lot is being made about Nate Parker's amateurish direction. Um, and it is clunky at times, for sure. There's also a lot of really effective scenes. There is a scene that uh, where this song is playing and they show um, some people who have been hung in trees and kind of zoom out to show a, a bunch of them. Oh, the think, pull, like the pull, it's near the end, right? The yes, camera, that the pull out. Yeah. No, I think that's, I, I think there's some good stuff peppered in here direction yeah. wise. I think there's a lot of, a lot of clunk though. There, a little, yeah. I, I think, I think there's a little less than you do, but I, there, it is a little bit clunky. I think that by far the best thing about the movie is Nate Parker's acting. Um, I think he gives a really great performance in this. Um, and I think he's able to show some chops um, that I, I was previously pretty unfamiliar with Nate Parker prior to this. Um, I just thought, I just thought that he kind of was like Jamie Foxx light <laughs> because he really looks a lot like him. <laughs> they are very uh, similar. Yeah. They do look quite a bit alike. Uh, I mean, he was not in, in anything huge. I mean, he was in arbitrage, uh, I think is probably the one movie that I've seen with him um, that mm-hmm. I can remember. He, he was in Red Tails, which I never saw. Uh, the Great Debaters, uh, Denzel Washington. Um, oh, he was in uh, he was in Beyond the Lights. That's probably the place that I've seen. Okay, him. yeah. Uh, but yeah, so um, it's he first time uh, director. Um, not a first time writer though. I think he co-wrote something else. Um, but, um, he, he co-wrote a, a movie called Eden, um, yes, with, uh-huh. uh, with, uh, James Remar. It looks like, it doesn't look like a, it, like a straight to video thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so modern day Lord of the flies. Yeah. Okay. So to speak anyway. Yeah. So I, I think that his performance is really great. I think he gives a really emotional, deep performance. Um, I think the moments in, where he's preaching are powerful, even though, you know, you can argue about what it meant. Um, I also think that this movie shows the brutality of this era in a really unflinching way. And I think that's the most effective part about it. There's a couple scenes in this movie that are um that are hard to watch. I mean, the one in particular was the scene with the teeth and the feeding. Oh uh, yeah, that's I mean that that's was, that's rough. That was real brutal. rough. And I, I I respect that. I respect a movie like that that does not pull its punches. And personally, I don't know how you feel about it. 
I don't think it was exploitive or done for shock value. I think it is a very affecting scene. No, I, I, I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem with anything in the movie other than just the, the execution of it as a movie. I do. There are some problems with army hammers character. Um, and I think that, um, you know, I, I think there are a few too many, maybe, uh, mustache twisting villains in it. It's a little too on the nose at times. Yeah. I, I think army hammers character who it plays, uh, uh, is it, uh, Samuel is his name. Yes. He plays the, essentially the owner of, uh, of Parker's of, uh, I'm sorry. Um, um, sorry, Parker's character, Nat Turner, uh, who he grew up with. However, that relationship never really seems to expand. That is an unfortunate missed opportunity. Yeah, because uh, I mean, you know, we see we see uh, Parker's character as a child who um, is taken in by the matriarch of the family that he is owned by, mm-hmm. um, and you know, taught to read and to to given the Bible and ends up you know reading a lot of scripture at the church and things, and he grows up side by side with Samuel. However, when the relationship turns that turns goes to an adulthood the the that relationship doesn't seem to mean anything anymore right you, you see a scene near the beginning of when they become adults where army hammer's character stops a uh, a random man from from beating uh parker's character right. after he helped you know picked up something for a white woman well, and then I think the the problem is that the reason that's given for Army Hammer to turn essentially on him um, is not really well thought out and doesn't really have any impact. I, I think that the other thing, just to say another good thing about it, is that and it's and it's actually odd considering the controversy about Nate Parker right now, but the way that it portrays um, sexual assault and rape. Um, is really harrowing. I thought um, in a few scenes. Oh, I mean, don't give. I mean, it's it's all awful. You know, there's yeah. nothing. There's nothing about the story. You know, other than it's it's kind of surprising to me that there hasn't been a a story about a movie made about this before because it's it's a pretty bloody uprising. You know, it's essentially it is. It is. it's a, yeah. it's a, you know if if cool. you know. People are being murdered in their beds, you know, women and children, essentially, I guess. That's the implication, right? Yeah. And I wish that I wish that the uprising part had not been so tied to the religious themes. I think that undercuts it a little bit. Um, Go ahead. I I mean, I don't doubt that that's probably not what was there, but. um, This is a very Christian movie. And at yeah. times it feels a little bit like and, and the genre that we often overlook when we talk about movies, us here, because they don't screen them for critics. The, uh, faith the faith-based stuff. It feels a little like that at times because it has, it has a very strong Christian message, which I don't have a problem with, but it gets a little into the weeds on it. Um, and like you say, it get and, and it comes across a little hokey. Like I don't get all the imagery stuff. Um, you know, you have essentially Parker as the Christ figure. I mean, you, he's essentially crucified before the big turn, 
And yes, and been some very unsubtle imagery, yeah. Right, and then there's some other imagery that I don't even quite understand, like a bleeding corn cob. I yeah, that was weird. Apparently, I've, I'm, I was reading some Sundance, uh, comparisons to Sundance. Apparently, uh, since the Sundance release, he's taken out what are essentially like specters of his ancestors that visit him in the Really? Film. Yeah, which uh, that's an interesting thing there there's a lot of kind of first movie first feature experimentation going on in this thing i feel like um some of the imagery doesn't really like it's the the story is powerful enough and the imagery you know the imagery of the savage you know the savage way these people were treated that that you know blacks were treated as in during slavery is enough you know like right. you don't need to in my opinion, add allegory on top of it because this is the brutality, you know? Um, I, I almost feel like that the the uprising part almost plays out, it feels like a montage. A little bit, I don't know yeah. if, you, if you felt the same way. Like, it's almost like it's condensed. But the brutality of it is 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 what makes it a, a affected to me because, I mean, it's, it's just, I mean, it's fucking axe murders, you know? Like, yeah, it's, oh yeah. It's intense. Yeah, and I, you know, spoiler alert. Uh, yeah, sorry. And if you don't know the history, but uh, I, I just think that <laughs> I just think that the that the the clunkiness is too much to overcome, in my opinion. I think it just, I think in the hands of a more capable director, this would have been something amazingly powerful. I think right now it comes across as a little hokey, uh, which is unfortunate. I think some of the acting is not up to snuff at all. Um, I think Army Hammer's character gets gets no gets no real arc. Uh, I but I don't think that's his acting though. No, I don't think so. I, I'm not sorry. I didn't. I don't mean to lump those two together. Because I think Army Hammer's fine. I think the script and direction does him no favors. Because just sort of yeah. all of a sudden he's he's a bad guy. I agree. Um, His arc is not well thought out. And I think there's some real, real cheese ball stuff in here. Um, like the first after the first scene with uh, Parker's character and his wife, when they're naked, like facing each other and it zooms in on a pair of candles. Yeah. I mean, it's just, that was almost groan inducingly hokey. I agree. Um, so yeah, for me, it doesn't, it, I can't, I, I can't get past how amateurish it is. Like it doesn't even look pretty. You know I think that it does. Really? I think yeah, it I looks think. flat. Personally. I, I, I don't think... I have no problem with the story. I have no problem with the message. And it's a story that, that frankly deserves to be told. Mm-hmm. I just wish that there was I, I and I have no problem with Parker starring in it, and I have no baggage personally with his the whole sexual assault thing. That's a messy issue that I would never want to touch with a 10-foot pole because I have no authority to speak on it. Yeah. Um, it's a weird thing to – It's a, I, I think it's a weird comparison to draw, frankly, because you're talking about like, like institutionalized ownership of people and the sexual assault that came with it, you, trying to compare it to a modern rape case – which yeah, I don't have any say so on it. I just think that's a weird comparison. Uh, yeah, I in here. Here's the thing: if we're talking about Parker the actor, Parker the director, and Parker the writer, 
I think that the worst of the three in this movie is him as a writer. Really? I think it's director. And then I think director, and then I think he's uh, he's great as an actor. Yeah, no, I think it's if it were, I think if it were a stronger movie, and you know, obviously had the controversy not bubbled up, I think this would be a huge coming out party for for Nate Parker. Like you'd have oh, a, you'd have sure. the next huge star. Yeah, um, I agree. As, it's, as it stands, though, I don't think the movie's powerful enough. I don't think the movie's effective enough to get to get its message across. It- and for me, I think the effective part comes within the uh, the brutality of its violence. I mean, because look, you get a great actor like Jackie Earl Haley, and he's essentially he's playing a cartoon character. Yeah, no, Jackie Earl Haley should not have been in that movie. I mean, and even even you know, he has no nuance. I mean, he's just he's just evil incarnate, which is yeah. fine. But give him something to do. Right. You know, I right. could have done, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't want to rewrite the movie, but it's just something like that. That, you know, he, here's a guy that, that can play complex characters. And I think that's what's missing in this movie is complexity for anyone. Well, I mean, it's going to sound weird, but anyone who's not a, uh, one of the, the slave characters, anyone who's not African-American. I think uh, Penelope Ann Miller gets gets a pretty uh, decent character to bite into as the mother, and I think Army Hammer had the potential there. I just don't think it happens. I think everybody else is a cartoon character, um, and I don't think that's effective. Uh, Did you you think that Nate Parker's character is like that? No, I said everyone who's not. Oh, every, everyone who's white, essentially. Oh. Yeah, I didn't want to say it like that, but you made me say it. Okay, like that. racist. Yeah, all of the the white characters essentially are are cartoon characters, and I said except for Penelope Ann Miller and um, uh, Army Hammer. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, I, we can probably wrap up the conversation there. So yeah, don't try to bait me into something. I'm saying something racist, Cody. It's not going to happen. <laughs> What's your grade for? Uh, yeah, I've been kind of thinking about it a little bit. Um, I'm going to go with a B. Um, I think that for me personally, um, I, I think that the way that it displays its violence and not pulling its punches and showing the ugliness that was happening, seeing things in movies I haven't seen before, like the teeth thing, um, like the the uprising part, I think those are really effective things, things that make you uncomfortable to watch. Um, and I think that that type of treatment, that type of story deserves to have stuff that's hard to watch. Um, and I also think that on the strength of Nate Parker, who I think had this been a better movie would definitely have been dominated for best actor at a minimum. Um, I think that he's fantastic in this movie and I would really like to see him in other roles based on that. So I'm going to give it a B. I'm going to C plus. I just can't get past how, how disappointing I was with the way the story was put together, the way the movie was put together. Um, I just feel I, I, I wanted Epic and I felt like we got something way less than that. All right, let's go ahead and move on to our next movie. 13th. One out of four human beings with their hands on bars shackled in the world are locked up here in the land of the free. Khalif Browder was walking home from a party when he was stopped by police. Then they said, we're going to take you to the precinct and most likely we're going to let you go home. And then 
I never went home. The 13th Amendment to the Constitution makes it unconstitutional for someone to be held as a slave. There are exceptions, including criminals. The loophole was immediately exploited. What you got after that was a rapid transition to a mythology of black criminality. So this is a Netflix documentary uh, directed by Ava DuVernay, who, uh, of course, directed uh, 2014 Selma. Great movie. Great movie, who, which got um, the shaft marketing-wise. Yeah. Um, this is uh, uh, premiered on Netflix on Friday. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can go Good watch, on Netflix, man. You can go watch it right now. That um, they they are the home for documentaries, I think. That's They're, probably the biggest them and, and HBO is, I think, a second, but like a, a distant second. Yeah, H, uh, Netflix is killing it right now on the documentary front. I I still want to watch the Amanda Knox one, but that's not. It's pretty. Either. It's decent. Yeah, it's not my favorite, but it's decent. Is it a film or is it a series? It's a documentary uh, film. All right, so uh, away from that, thirteenth. What do you think of thirteenth? Um, you know, who <laughs> you were chewing on this all day, and I, I kind of have some of the same concerns that you have. But just to just to clarify, this is thirteenth refers to the Thirteenth Amendment, which essentially ended slavery. But it, the right. highlight of this documentary is the clause in there that uh, you know outlaws slavery in the land except when you've committed a crime and this highlights the perception that that is institutionalized slavery for, uh, African-American people. Disproportionately. Correct. Um, here's, here's my main beef with 13th. Um, I think that, it is all over the place in terms of the message and the issues that it covers because it's, it, it, it jumps around constantly to different things. And some of them seem at at times completely unrelated to what they're trying to get across with the 13th amendment, with the slavery, with the imprisonment. So it's about all those things. It's about slavery. It's about imprisonment. It's about Jim Crow America. It's about black lives matter, movements and the killings of, you know, African-American unarmed men mostly. And, um, but it's also got weird segments about things like Alec, which feels like it does not belong at all. Um, and it has a lot of, uh, it has a lot of indictment without maybe in some ways the most journalistic integrity <sighs> Look, I hate when we talk about these fucking issue docs. I too. Because that's the thing about look, I work for for better or worse, and for lack of a better word, I am a journalist. And it's a weird thing to say, I know, but as as say a it. someone what? Say it as a journalist. As a journalist. Douche. When I went to J school. <laughs> no. no, whatever. When you went to sack and dropped out. <laughs> That's completely accurate. <laughs> By sheer force of will and good luck, I am a journalist. Um, 
there's there's things that you try to avoid editorializing when you're trying to get a point. You're trying to to put facts out there, and arguably, issue docs aren't journalism, but there's still that tinge of fact there. There's still the the there's still the expectation that what you're watching is true. You're not getting someone's opinion. You're not getting someone's point of view. Right. You're getting them telling you stuff. And this is full of facts, you know, with the incarceration levels uh, going up. There's, you know, there's maybe some correlation versus causation going on, which is fine. It's a documentary. You're trying to prove a point. There's some stuff that, like you said, that's probably unrelated, but maybe plays into a larger narrative that the story is telling. And then there's stuff that's just kind of irresponsible that maybe maybe you agree with. And look, I don't have any – there's no love lost for me for Donald Trump, his campaign, what it represents – who the people most enthusiastic about it are yeah, and the actions that they partake in. Right. However, this film at a certain point, as it's ramping up uh, to its, you know, as it's, it's building its steam to the climax starts juxtaposing Donald Trump's speeches and rallies with footage from the civil rights era of, of black men and women being savagely beaten, have, have fire hoses, having fire hoses turned on them and just atrocities. And yeah. And to be fair, they do show some video footage of people, protesters being kicked out and assaulted at Trump rallies. But at the same time, if you listen to what's going on and you watch what's happening, there is, an, there is a very clear implication that Trump is supporting Jim Crow era America. And look, I don't necessarily disagree with that. I don't necessarily – I mean, I, I look, I, I'm of the opinion that Donald Trump is a huge con man. And mm-hmm. this is – you know, this is all just a – this is all just a big – It's a joke. Right. Well, I mean, it's – you know, it's playing – playing to people's weaknesses and what they want most. I, I, I have 0% doubt that he knows exactly what he's doing and what kind of people he's going after, you know, with these kind of code words of, you know, make America great again, again, well, implying that something has changed. Right. In, in a lot of, you, know, you, you can connect your own dots as a supporter of his, I, but to make that connection in the, a documentary that is ostensibly factual and ostensibly is trying to tell a, a story. And look, there's some fascinating stuff in here about criminalization and what has become what the war on crime, so to speak, and the quote war on drugs has turned into criminal acts. Um, to outright call, to outright compare the rally of a politician who hasn't been elected yet, hopefully not, that's me editorializing, 
to compare it to institutionalized, uh, you know, discrimination. It, and, it, and, I, and I think that it's using Trump's rhetoric um, to make leaps that may not be intentional on his part, but may have some people's mind going there when he says it. Well, uh, look, I don't mind. I would ne- I would not mind at all if there was at least someone in the movie that said what he's saying sounds a lot like this. Right. Instead, the film tells you shows what he's, you right, show yeah shows you and, and 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 demonstrates what he's doing matches up with this, and it's it's a minor distinction to be sure, but it's a very important one. You know, it's it's the difference between you saying something and someone else saying something. As a journalist, you know, I said it again. Fuck me. Okay, uh, okay, douchebag. We get it. You're a journalist. You know, I have to, I have to say, I I a, you know, a lot of people don't like this. A lot of people want people to call people. A lot of people want journalists to call people on the carpet. But the the modern consensus of a journalist is neutral. You know, you don't take a side unless you specifically say you're taking a side. Mm-hmm. And for better or worse, issue docs have the 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 air of journalism about them, but not the practices. And I think that's a dangerous precedent to set because look like something like blackfish. It's an issue doc. People take it as gospel. Right. Um, you know, it had an agenda and it successfully accomplished its agenda. I mean, oh. it's, it's almost destroyed SeaWorld. Yeah. Oh, for sure. But yeah. it's not in fact, journalism. In in fact, I think, and just to bring to that point, I think Blackfish might be the most successful example of an issue doc actually making a massive difference. Right. Um, you know, and people people confuse the two, and that's how, and the, that's also how you get shit like Fox News. People confuse the issue the issue driven news or journalism or whatever you want to call it with real like facts. Um, you get someone's opinion and you get someone's agenda and it's, I, I feel like again, like with birth of a nation, the story is powerful enough. You can, you can draw the line between the two pretty, pretty handily, you know, the way that, uh, that, that criminalization went up on, you know, after Jim Crow and, and all this stuff. I mean, you may be drawing some conclusions that maybe some people don't agree with, which is fine because I don't think there's any factual way to back up institutionalized, uh, discrimination just by the virtue of, you know, that's why they did it, you know? So they, cause they, so you couldn't trace it back, you know, the, 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 the out was written into the laws. You know what I'm saying? Does that make yeah. sense? Like you're not supposed to be able to be able to draw a, a, you're not supposed to be able to look back at records on this shit. And, and without a doubt, it's a, it's a huge problem. You know, without a doubt as a white man, I have no fear of the police or anything like that. Yes. How, it's a, it is a massive accurate problem. Yeah. So I don't think that, 
that, and I don't want to discount anything like that. I just, I don't like issue docs for that reason alone. I don't like the idea that, that here's, here's all this stuff that's presented as fact. And then here's our opinion with no change in tenor. Um, right. And it, it's, it really muddies the and issue I'm, for me. And I'm, I may have a singular point of view on that being coming from the news side of things for so right. long. But I, I believe in that too, because I think that journalistic integrity, even though it's not necessarily journalism, uh, I think that it serves the same general purpose as journalists do, which is to inform, to try to you know make the public decide on their own. Now, the difference is issue docs are very one-sided and they want to push their side of the issue – but um, – and I don't want to take away anything from, from the goods that 13th does in shedding a light on some things that are very true and forcing you know, America, for lack of a better word, to look themselves in the mirror and look throughout history and how things have evolved and how you know, we are where we are now and yet somehow we're still behind. Um, so I don't think it does that. I just think that it needed to pick an issue and stick with it rather than bounce around to five other things that may or may not be related to the original point you're making. And I think by having a lot of issues thrown out at it once, you're forcing yourself to make loose connections that aren't sticking as much because you're throwing so much out there. So the connections that it makes are undercut by the ability that they're kind of inter intertwining things that may not necessarily be totally related. And you're having to sort of figure out how, wait, how does this make, like fit in with this well and and it makes a weird choice every now and, well really only once we talked about this a little bit ago uh with alec yeah which is, uh, i can't remember what it stands for but uh it's some sort of organization it's that, the one guy who listens to our podcast <laughs> yeah it's a it's a lob it's a it's essentially a lobby he, he was at the prophets of rage show right that yeah, he was also at Cinema on Tap and uh, gave me shit about I something. I, I saw he posted uh, the picture of Prophets of Rage. I have to imagine that anybody that was going to a Prophets of Rage show was also watching the debate. I have to imagine. I have to imagine that the AT&T Center is probably not a great venue for the skeletal remains of three bands. That <laughs> Well, aren't, aren't they super political? Like, Oh, yeah. Because it's what? It's Public Enemy and Rage Against the Machine and who else? And uh, uh, Cypress Hill. Oh, that's right. I forgot about Cypress Hill. What does Cypress Hill have to do with Public Enemy and Rage Against the Machine? Um, Just that they were all yeah. popular in the nineties. Yeah, and and you know, Cypress like Rage Against the Machine covered how I could just kill a man. Uh, the Cypress Hill song. Back were, in... were Cypress Hill political at all? Well, I mean, if they they did a song that Rage covered, probably. Oh. I never listened to Cypress Hill, so I don't know. I just know Insane in the Membrane. And uh, rock superstar, rap super, whatever the fuck that song was called. Oh I don't yeah. Know. Anyway, anyway, uh, Alec is a lobbyist group, essentially um, lobbying on the behalf of a lot of people, a lot of weird, varied companies. Yeah, um, like when I wasn't Wendy's in there. Yeah, and... I don't know what Wendy's had to do with anything, but they have they have a, essentially a straw man for that group, like a scarecrow. <laughs> a straw, you know what a straw man is, right? Hey, I'm joking. Oh, okay. I thought I was going to explain a straw man to you, but yeah, they, and they tear him down pretty easily. And, but then no one, there's never a, another point of view. I mean, even fucking Newt Gingrich is in this. Yeah. And like not talking the way you would expect. Uh, so obviously there's a powerful through line here. Uh, 
I mean, when you're when you're on the same side as Newt Gingrich, and it's about race and crime in the United States, holy fuck, you know? Yeah, like that's a shock. Um, by that I mean you thinking there's a problem with either of those two things being related. Not if you think that racism is cured and there's too much crime, but if you think the opposite of that and you agree and Newt Gingrich agrees, that's fucking weird. But, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. When Newt Gingrich is your voice of reason, you're kind of like, oh. Hmm. But uh, but like I say, I just think it gets too far. Um, it's the it, it's the issue doc thing again. That's all. I keep going back to that. It's just you need you proved your point. I didn't need the editorializing. I think it I think it lessens the impact a little bit. I don't think it's ineffective. I I I think it's really powerful, and there's some really strong things that it says. And some really shitty things that it says, like shitty circumstances for the country, you know, as a white man in his 30s, I really have no problems with institutionalized anything against me, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't want to, I'm not, by no means am I bragging, I'm just pointing out, stating a fact. You know. Dude, we get it, you're white and you're protected. I'm white and I'm 38, 37 and... And you and you turned down weed because it wasn't the right day on 420. <laughs> like a fucking super square. Like, god damn. I mean, I, I had to. tomorrow, guys. Not today, kiddo. <laughs> that is the best response of all time. I've, that is literally the best turning down drug story I've ever heard. <laughs> and I, like, and like, I got to get into my friend's Honda Fit and we got to skedaddle on out of here. <laughs> Um, yeah. Okay. What's your grade? I, man, I hesitate to do this. I give it a, I give it a C plus. I, I, I thought, I thought that it was, uh, I thought that parts of it were effective. I didn't disagree with anything that it was talking about. I don't think that it is well-made on any level. And I think that the any level, I think that it's just a, it's too sprawling out. So, I was bored. So um, Cody gives it a uh, C plus, AKA Trump 2016. <laughs> it, look, it doesn't make my man Donnie look good. So <laughs> look, I, the problem is I, I, there's too many leaps that it takes that I think undercut its actual message. And I think had it hit its actual message without undercutting it, it would have been, the results would have been a lot better. Okay. Well, I'm at a B. I don't, I think it's, I think it's got a, I think it hits its message hard enough. Um, I think probably my problems with it are a little more unique than other people's. Uh, so I, I just, I'm not to interrupt you, but, um, but I'm going to do it anyway. Okay. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean like when you're talking, so here's the thing, here's what I want. I want, and maybe, maybe my problem with it is it didn't go where I wanted it to go, which is not the fault of the movie, but something you have to take into account. Um, which is when they're talking about mandatory minimum sentencing, something I'm very much against. Uh, and it's talking about how, uh, you know, how the crack ac- epidemic led to higher, uh, sentencing rates and mandatory minimum sentencing versus, um, you know, powder cocaine, which, you know, the, the, there is a disproportionate amount of race breakup between those two types of cocaine, for example. I would like to hear more about what they want to do about it because 
the idea, and remember, I come from a background of working in a drug rehab is, you know, we believe in treatment versus criminalization in some mm-hmm. cases, because we want to see people rehabilitated, get off the drugs and then become productive members of society. And I don't think that the movie takes opportunities like that to present solutions or points of view, as opposed to just pointing out what's wrong with things. And I think that hits the nail on the head, if I do say so myself, about issue docs in general, which is, blah, here's everything that's wrong, you fix it. And I think that that is, again, un- undercuts the message and leaves it to to for uh, to be critiqued. Yeah, I, I agree that that is a problem with issue docs. I think that was the first issue doc we talked about on the show was, uh, I think, Fed Up. Yeah. Uh, that offered zero solutions, just like, here's what's yep. wrong with America. Here's why you're fat. Yep. So take the time to talk about rehabilitation and take the time. There's there's actually a really great documentary on Netflix with, uh, with Russell Brand um, called From Addiction to Recovery, where they actually talk about the epidemic in, in England of – uh, of the government parking people on methadone who are heroin addicts. And what's happening is they're parking them on methadone. They're giving them – What does parking uh, uh, mean? So basically it means just giving them an endless supply of methadone. Okay. So they replace their heroin with methadone. They're taking methadone, which of course is this, you know, almost the same thing, and they're using other drugs on top of the methadone. And then the alternative that they've studied was – uh, and taking people in jail and rehabbing them, rehabilitating them in jail through drug treatment and then setting them back into the world. And the the recidivism has gone way down with those people who have received treatment. And so, you know, that's what I want to hear about more than anything else. So, Well, I mean, that that's probably a little too far into the outside of the the uh, direction they want to go. I mean, this is an issue about race. I, I mean, I don't disagree with you. That's the 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 laws in this country are bizarrely out of whack. Yeah. Um, you know, the, but the issue that they have, the issue that this doc presents is with how it disproportionately targets blacks, which you know is 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 the point of it being you know. A, called 13th you know it's and basically. and and it's a salient point and it's an accurate point so anyway i'm at a b you're at um trump 2016 <laughs> <laughs> uh but you can check it out it's on netflix right now um i think it's worth a watch um you know my my critiques are probably not your critiques uh you not meaning you specifically but you the listener unless you happen to be a journalist like me yeah, you know, a white went to, went to, 30, 30 whatever year old journalist went to J school. Um, well, that implies that you finished. So <laughs> went to J school. Uh, I I don't even I haven't done it yet. I haven't done any of that shit. I was pushing buttons five years ago. <laughs> the fuck do I know? All right, <laughs> that's gonna do it for this week. Next week, you uh, it's it's another mess again here, isn't it? With uh, a screenings. bit. Yeah, um, I think – I mean I'm going to see it, so we'll talk about The Accountant. Yeah. Um, uh, but you know what we're going to – uh, are you going to see the Kevin Hart movie? I haven't got an invite for that. Okay. But so, I, I do have an invite for the uh, first 15 minutes of Doctor Strange. Okay. 
you know what let's do let's do um let's do the accountant let's do um let's do shin godzilla hmm. we'll we'll have to see it's I've, at ninety one percent on rotten tomatoes man i know i'm just i'm just trying to figure out the schedule here so I, I think we should do uh, – and this is us. We should probably be doing this off the air. But <laughs> We should always be doing everything off the air. Yes, including recording this show Yeah, just... just like not doing it. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but also uh, if you want to cover Netflix, I've already seen it. But the new Christopher Guest movie, Mascots, opens on oh, the 13th. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, well, we'll have to see. I, I do have a busy weekend planned. But uh, I do oh, want to see Shin Godzilla. I'm not going to fucking tell you what I'm going to do because you're going to make fun of it. But. You're, you're probably going to some fucking 90s band concert. Oh, like you, oh no, it is worse. Oh, no. Is it worse than a full house, fuller house taping? No, that was actually pretty pretty fun because I'm, I'm a big TV nerd. You would yeah. like it too, you, you asshole. <laughs> You'll have to tell me off mic what you're doing this weekend. No, I want you to guess. Oh. Well, does it have something to do with your girlfriend? Yes. <laughs> okay. But, it, but it, it, what's... What's what's a big gathering that's socially under a comic con? Socially, oh, uh, come on! You know, I know you can get this. It's not a it's not a furries convention, is it? No, 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 no. <laughs> um, shit. Why am I blinking on this? I'll, I'll go ahead and tell you. What? It's a Renaissance festival. Oh, <laughs> I've never been. And uh, no, they they were kind enough to uh, to give me some press passes. So we're gonna yeah, check press out the te- to a Ren Fair. Texas, check out the Texas Renaissance. It's a huge deal, apparently. Yeah. It's a, it's near Houston, but we there's actually commercials running here in Austin for it. So, hmm. um, well, how about that? Well, I'm hoping that we can do at a minimum next week. Hopefully, we can do the accountant Shin Godzilla, and um, we'll have to, we'll have to, we'll have to take a a. Uh, Take a good long look at mascots. I don't know if that'll happen, but uh Well it comes out on Thursday night, so Okay. Well I'm leaving. Or Thursday during the day. And well, I can give you my Netflix contact. Well we'll 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 figure it out. We'll figure it out. Don't worry about it. Uh so uh um if you want to reach us, you can email us at podcast at cinesnob.net. You can call us at nine two zero film two one zero. That's nine two zero three four five six two one zero zero. Is that right? Did I say that right? feel like I got ahead of myself. It's been a long day. Uh, find us on Twitter at CineSnob. Facebook, CineSnob Critic. Come see us October 19th, right? October 19th at Big Hops, The Bridge, for What We Do in the Shadows, free screening. And, uh, yeah, and that's with, uh, what is it, Benji's, Benji something? Ben- Benji's Munch. Benji's Munch. Uh, food truck. What kind of food is that? Uh, let me look up the menu real quick while you're stalling. <laughs> so, uh, going to Renaissance Festival, it's actually the uh, wizarding themed weekend. But I don't. Oh my god, I can't find this soon enough. But please keep going. <laughs> I uh, don't have. Uh, I was going to get a Harry Potter robe from uh, Universal Studios to wear that, but that didn't pan out. So. All right, so I'm looking at his menu. He has a porchetta sandwich, which is a pork tenderloin wrapped with pork belly. God damn, that sounds delicious. <laughs> I know, right? He has a chicken stick sandwich, which is cracker crumb. <laughs> um, cracker crumb. <laughs> God damn it. I've seen that movie. <laughs> 
Anyway, sounds delicious. Uh, so that's uh, it does. so uh, that's Big Hops the Bridge. Uh, you know where the Hay Street Bridge is? That's where it is, right? Yeah, literally right next. Literally to it. right next to the Hay Street Bridge. Um, I haven't I haven't been there. I need to go. One of these days, I'll come down there for one of these events instead of just deigning it to some other plebe to handle. And uh, so, uh, anything else? Um. Been a long episode. Uh, Trump 2016. Trump 2016. Uh, Coney 2012. <laughs> no, not again. That. Why does that make me laugh so much? Because <laughs> it was such a, it was such a huge internet concern, and it just died. <laughs> like the many people that Coney 2012 had <laughs> so viciously murdered. <laughs> What distracted the world right after that? I want to know. <laughs> Dude, it was that that video was the internet for a solid 48 hours at least. I remember like like children getting upset about it, like talking to their parents about it and then it just went away. All part of Coney's plan. What happened to Joseph Coney? I don't I don't think anything. I think that guy went crazy and that was it. The guy that started it. Are you looking him up? I am. Yeah, it looks like he's in. As of 2013, he was in uh, poor health. Oh. But it says uh, it says that uh, <clears throat> Coney 2012 has been widely criticized for largely ignoring the fact that Joseph Coney was already pushed out of Uganda long before the film was was made for using funds largely for themselves and for hypocrisy by ignoring human rights by the Ugandan military. Well. Cool. Let's see what Jason Russell's up to. Who knows? Are you looking? Well, at- I mean, you don't care. I I don't really, but sure. Yeah. He he sold a he sold a musical to St- Steven Spielberg with John Chu. Yes. Good. What ha- what the hell? How did that even happen? I don't even know. Oh, all right. That's enough of this. Anything else before we go? Hey, uh, if you want to read about Coney, because there's a really good Coney bit, um, you, if, you, if you're familiar with the TV show Black Mirror, uh, the guy who uh, does that show, his name's Charlie Broker. He's like a political commentator in England. And there's this really, if you look up Charlie Broker and Coney, there's a really hilarious takedown of Coney that's quite funny. Cool. I can just openly yawning now because I don't give a shit. Two weeks, it gained more than 83 million views on YouTube, the Coney thing. Hey, you know what? That's awesome. And now it's nowhere. And like, and like six people listen to our podcast. <laughs> we need to come up with some fake warlord. <laughs> Kiko 2016. Yeah, where is Kiko? Let's do the next serial about Kiko. Oh, yeah. Like his disappearance. He was He was super into the debate tonight, so... Yeah, he's turned into this like political uh, whiz kid, um, forgetting that he has a, a damn podcast that he does and thinks he's important because he has two children now. So, <sighs> yeah, all right, fuck that guy. Let's get out of here. All right, <laughs> I'm Jared Kingery. I'm Cody Viafania. Thank you for listening to this Cine Snob podcast. To read reviews, interviews, and more, visit cinesnob.net. See you next week.